it doesn't work if you take the rest and then you're just like trying to make up for it afterwards. We have to actually pull back. And again, coming back to what you're saying, Mona, we have to ask ourselves hard questions. Like, why is it that I only feel of value when I'm doing something for my family, right? Why is it that it feels like it's impossible for me to take an hour for myself? You know, what is it about the way that I've constructed my life that makes it so that me taking an hour off leads me to beating myself up for two hours. Welcome back to the show. I am Dr. Mona, and I am so excited to welcome a repeat guest onto the show today. I have Dr. Pooja Lakshman. She is a MD psychiatrist, New York Times contributor, the author of Real Self-Care, and the founder and CEO of Gemma, the physician-led women's mental health platform. She is a leading voice at the intersection of mental health and gender focused on challenging the tyranny of faux self-care. Pooja maintains an active private practice where she treats women struggling with burnout, perfectionism, and disillusionment, as well as clinical conditions like depression and anxiety. I think everyone can relate to this. Her first book, Real Self-Care, a transformative program for redefining wellness, crystals, cleanses, and bubble baths not included, is available on March 14th from Penguin Random House. She lives in Austin with her partner, their son, and their two cats. And I am so excited to call her a social media friend and a repeat guest on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today, Pooja. Mona, it's such a pleasure to be back. I have been just so excited to be in conversation with you again. Yes. And so we are chatting all about things related to your book. I know that's launching soon. Congratulations. I know that is not an easy feat, especially with a little baby at home. So really, truly, and obviously you're practicing as well. So congratulations on the book. And we're talking about what is real self-care for moms. And I put that in quotes because there's a lot of terminology around self-care. And sometimes I feel like it can be more stressful than useful. And I know you can agree to that. So first, tell me more about yourself and also what brought you to write this book? Yeah. So I always like to say that you can't meditate your way out of a 40 hour work week with no Mm -hmm. childcare. Like that's just not how wellness works. That's not how self-care works. And becoming a mother, you know, I've been practicing perinatal psychiatry for almost a decade now. And, you know, I'd been writing about gender justice and paid leave and the lack of support that we Mm -hmm. have in our society. I'm a contributor for the New York Times. So I write about that all the time. But when I became a mom last June, I definitely saw firsthand none of the things that I do right now would be possible if I didn't have reliable childcare. Yeah, And my son is almost eight months old and he is in daycare. And we're so lucky to have a great daycare that is super close to our house. And we have a babysitter that we love. And we had a postpartum doula and I had the resources. You know, I have a partner who has an employed position job that's stable, that has great health insurance. So I'm able to be an entrepreneur and have my own private practice and write and do all of these things that are less stable and more risky only because I have that stability and that safety net. You know, this whole conversation of writing the book for me came from my clinical practice of having patients, women, I work only with women. And I would say probably about 80% of my practice is moms. Mm -hmm. People come in and be like, Dr. Lakshman, I'm so stressed out. You know, I know I'm burnt out. I'm not sleeping well. I'm not eating well. 
And I feel like it's my fault because I have Mm -hmm. this meditation app on my phone. Mm -hmm. I know I'm supposed to be meditating. I know I should go to yoga. I just can't bring myself. Mm -hmm. And the burden of knowing or kind of feeling like it's supposed to be just as easy as going to a yoga class or it's supposed to be just as easy of like drinking a glass of wine and taking a bubble bath. Like, no, that is not going to solve the childcare crisis in America. Like you taking a bubble bath is not going to fix what's wrong. And then kind of pulling it back even more This is a deeply personal journey for me. I really, I started writing this book, you could say like a decade ago, even though it's just coming out now. I went through my own really kind of traumatic wellness journey. So the title of the book is Real Self-Care, A Transformative Program for Redefining Wellness, Crystals, Cleanses, and Bubble Baths Not Included. Mm -hmm. And that last little bit is because... And I write about this in the book, followed sort of like the traditional South Asian path. My father's a physician. It was always assumed that I go to medical school. I went to all the good schools. I did all the things I was supposed to. And then I found myself as a second year resident in psychiatry at a really prestigious program, totally burned out and also really disillusioned Mm -hmm. with medicine. Like you talked about this, Mona, you know, people come into the ER and they're homeless and we're prescribing Zoloft. Mm -hmm. But what they really need is housing, right? Or like you have a patient that has lost their job because they don't have childcare. But as a physician, we're not taught anything about how to fix those problems. And in psychiatry, we turn to medication, we turn to psychotherapy, which is very important, you know, and I've written for the New York Times about taking an antidepressant during my pregnancy. Like I'm not saying that those things are wrong or bad. There's very much a space for that. But the deeper structural and cultural problems you know, medicine didn't provide a solution for that. So I actually dropped out of residency, got divorced, moved into a commune in San Mm -hmm. Francisco and not just any commune, but a commune that studied female orgasm, you know, as you do. And and as your Indian parents are like shocked and horrified. (laughs) I had no idea about this. That's actually an incredible story. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I spent two years with this Mm -hmm. group and worked at the Rutgers orgasm lab where we put people in fMRI machines and looked at their brains during arousal and orgasm. It was a really transformative personal and professional time for me. But at the end of two years, I realized that there was just as many hypocrisies and contradictions in alternative medicine and in that sort of like spiritual woo-woo space. But I had sort of run there because I thought I could escape all my problems. I thought that I could find a wellness off the shelf solution. And I learned that doesn't work. There is no external solution for your problems. Like you actually have to be the one to fix your problems. And that sucks. And that was like a terribly hard lesson to learn. I turned 30 in my old childhood bedroom, like completely depressed. I had just left that group and facing the prospect of coming back to the medical world and having to kind of like admit failure. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I mean, I found out many years later that through the media, that the story in this group was actually much darker and really it was a cult and sort of having to come to terms with the fact that I was affiliated with that group. And, you know, I was Mm -hmm. in psychoanalysis, I'm still in psychoanalysis, but I started seeing a psychoanalyst. I went three times a week for years. So it was a dark time in my life, but also so transformative and that's what really informs this book. Like Mm -hmm. the whole process of real self-care is that you actually 
can't get it from a guru. You know, you can't get it from someone else. It's something that you have to be able to build for yourself. Oh, I love the story. Thank you so much for sharing that because I know you, but didn't know all of that. So now I can't wait to read the book even more to learn (laughs) just about how you got to this point. And like I said, I feel like some of the most influential and powerful messages come from people who've experienced similar things or have gone through your own struggles with self-care and what that means. And, you know, you've come out the other side, even with your education as a psychiatrist to say, let me bridge all of this together, right? Obviously, like you just said, there is a place for medication. And I also have been on medication in the past, but is there also a place for understanding the individual changes I need to do, systemic changes that are there? It's all a big picture. It's not like a finger pointing of one thing and that's it. Like it's, hey, what are we going to do with the situation that we're in? What can we change? And I can't wait to talk about that. What do you think the wellness industry has gotten wrong about self-care and wellness? You kind of alluded it to already, but especially when it comes to moms and parents. Yeah. So right now, wellness and self-care is completely commodified. Mm-hmm. It's something that you buy or it's something that you do. So in the book, I talk a little bit about this concept of like the quantified self and self-care as it's been sold to us right now is very much kind of within that framework. It's something that you have to check off the list. You know, I went to yoga, Mm -hmm. I did my bullet journal, I made my gratitude list. And especially for moms, Mona, you talk about this all the time, like we know how heavy that mental load is. We Mm -hmm. have so many tasks over the course of the day. Like there's lots of research on this, but like, you know, by the time you even get to work in the morning, you've already done like hundreds of tasks, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So like to add something else to the list, it's just like, what, how, why? So the problem, as we all know, as your listeners, as the Peed Stock Talk audience, like very much knows intimately, the problem isn't that we aren't doing enough. The problem is that the sources of support externally are not there. The problem is that it's so hard to find a summer camp for your kid because you have to like be on a waiting list in January up at midnight because it's going to close. It's going to fill up by 1230. That's the problem. That's a structural problem. Mm -hmm. But wellness is so slick. The marketing is so good, like the branding, the beige colors. And I think like for me, like part of this is like coming from a place of compassion, like in the book, you know, it's like, I fell for it. Like I dropped out of residency and I joined a cult. (laughs) Let's just say what it is. It happened. Um, You owned it. It happened. It's fine. like Because I was also so desperately searching for a solution, for an answer. And so like when you see that stuff pop up on your feed, when you see like those pretty vitamins that are like branded so well and say that they're going to help your anxiety, of course, it's so much easier to click buy on that than it is to have to like sit on hold with your insurance company to try and fight to get your therapy visits paid for. Like, of course, right? Yes. And I do think a lot more people are speaking up about wellness now, but I would say what's missing from that conversation is compassion. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's like a lot of snark and eye rolls about like the goops and the, all the nonsense that's out there, which like, to be fair, like, yes, absolutely. 100% it's nonsense. But the Mm -hmm. reason that it's there is because we aren't treating women well. Right. 
Like that's why it sells. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with like using that example for physical, like in pediatrics, yeah. there's so many people who go to alternative docs, yep. chiropractors, yes. people who yes. might not be trained in the educational area. And instead of poo-pooing it, we have to tell ourselves exactly what you said. Why are they going there? What is it about our current system using the modern healthcare system for pediatrics that is pushing people away from pediatricians or away from what we normally used to, you know, do. And I love that insight rather than getting upset, getting curious about, well, why, like, why are we going there and really trying to explain it? Because I appreciate your, again, going back to your educated lens, you have experience in mental health as a psychiatrist. I mean, you went to school for this stuff. I mean, this is your your bread and butter. (laughs) And then you also have the real life experience, not only as a mother, because you've obviously treat a lot of families and parents and moms, especially, and that adds value. So you have the educational and experience base to kind of say, let's take all of it, you know? And I appreciate that you do that because I think a lot of times people will hear things like the goops and the alternative stuff and say, it can't be possible. Nothing is right about it. And although I agree that there are some things that you're like, oh my goodness, really looking into it and be like, okay, well, what is this actually saying? Does this make any sense? And explaining it to your followers and your community is so helpful. So I love that you approach that the same way as I do. Thank you. Yeah. And I think like part of it too is stepping back and realizing that one of the reasons that people are turning to those spaces is because they do want community. They want Mm -hmm. to feel seen. They want to feel heard. And those spaces can feel really welcoming. But then once you kind of go deeper down the rabbit hole, you kind of come to understand, wait, there's stuff here that could be unsafe or could be dangerous. But I think that when we approach these conversations with shame and judgment, it's so much harder for people to be curious about their experience and then to even get to the stage of change or get to the stage of like, well, maybe there's something else. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like with all of our kind of polarized environments, I think nuance is always lovely. And that's why having conversations like this and having a space on a podcast to be able to really talk is nice. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Bree. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Bree, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you've fallen into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, 
we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I completely agree with the concept of self-care, what you mentioned about not having the resources to do self-care. Like from personal experience, we have had inconsistent outside help, meaning it's me and my husband with our son. We have no family here, nobody. And it's just us two and our kid. And he's in preschool, but weekend help, date nights. I want to go get my hair done, like colored or get my nails done. Like, I mean, things like that, that I actually want to do for myself. It's not like, okay, this is my self-care. It's like, no, I just want to break. I want to go get a boba and sip some boba and have my and nails talk done. to nobody. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not be on my phone, like just literally stare into space and not have a toddler ask me when snack time is, all that. But the reality is those things are more doable when you have the support. So I can only do those things and get true quiet and time off if I have my husband at home, but he's working or I have a nanny, which is very inconsistent. So that reality is there. It is so easy to say, oh, I'm going to do all these, quote unquote, the checkbox of self-care but you have to have someone to help you. And a lot of families struggle. And I think that's where I feel a lot of that stress comes between looking at self-care, seeing all influencers or people say, I wake up and I do this before my children wake up. And I'm like, that is great for you. And I think we all have to kind of look at that when we're getting that information from influencers or other moms, their reality is different than you. I mean, I don't have the same resources. I cannot wake up before my son. I'm so tired because I parented without any help the whole day before. So if there's so much comparison in self-care, there's so much self-shame, I think too, right? You feel like, look at that person. They have four kids and they are able to get up at 5 a.m. and work out, but they also probably have some help there. They also probably have looked at ways in their life to create a reality that that was a priority for them, but that doesn't mean you're not doing that and it's not, you're not good enough or anything like that. And that self-judgment can be really hard. In your book, you distinguish between faux self-care, so like, you know, that, and real self-care. Why do you make that distinction? Yeah, so I think this gets a little bit to what you're talking about in sort of bridging the individual changes versus the systems change that needs to happen. So I distinguish between faux self-care and real self-care, the metaphor that I use is methods 
versus principles. So I'll give you an example. So I have a patient who her kind of self-care method is she really enjoys swimming. So swimming at the Y, it's like her way of working out. It's her me time going a couple times a week. It just feels really good in her body. It's good for her mental health. So she has been able, because of the way her resources are set up, she's been able to work her schedule so that she can go for a swim at the Y twice a week. And she's arranged childcare and she's kind of got everything coordinated. So in this context, the method of self-care is swimming, but the principle are all of the decisions that she had to make, all of the hard Mm -hmm. conversations, all of the self-compassion that she had to give herself, the boundaries and the understanding that even though she's in a system that is 100% in so many ways stacked against her, she could exert the small onus of agency, Mm -hmm. right? To make small choices, to make this possible. So when I say faux self-care, what I really mean is these are methods, right? It could be swimming, one person's swimming, another person's Peloton, another person's sitting alone at a coffee shop and drinking the Bobo and staring into space. I think the reason that we need to focus on the principles is because in all these different phases of your life, the methods are going to be different especially in on your parenting journey, your motherhood Mm -hmm. journey. I have so many patients who are like, well, I used to be able to work out in this way. And that was my self-care. And now I'm a mom and I don't have time. Or even when I do have time, it doesn't feel the same. Like, it's not that you're doing something wrong or bad. It's just that you need a different method. And -hmm. nobody can give you that method from the outside. You have to work through the principles of real self-care, which I'll just say, like, you know, our boundaries, self-compassion, really identifying your values. And in real self-care, it's actually a very hands-on book. I have lots of exercises and different sort of reflective tools that you can use. I've designed an exercise or resource that's called the Real Self-Care Compass, which Mm -hmm. helps you identify your values. But that's what has to guide your decision-making. And then from there, that's how you understand that, that you do have some power. Yes, everybody has different levels of power based on the color of your skin, based on how much money you make, based on the type of family support that you have and the level of education that you have. Yes, all that is true. And we can all make small micro changes to help us feel closer to ourselves. So when I'm talking about real self-care, I'm not talking about a task or a thing to do or a thing to buy. It's really about a way of Mm decision-making. Real self-care is a verb. It's not a noun. It's something that you actively participate in. And getting back to my sort of experience in my 20s, again, nobody can hand it to you. Like, I'm really sorry that, unfortunately, this book is asking you to do more work. <laughs> like, uh-huh. this isn't Self-reflection, easy. <laughs> workbook. Yeah, it's important though. Yes. In order for change, you have to have the work. You unfortunately, have to. that's a reality. And you mm-hmm. have to find your own answers, right? Yes. Like, it can't come from a guru. It can't come from just picking up somebody else's solution. Mm -hmm. But the good news is that once you start to do that work, it stays with you. And then with each transition in your life, whether it's motherhood, you know, your kids getting older, becoming more independent, whether it's taking care of your aging parents, there's always going to be like a new method. There's always going to be a new thing that you have to learn, but you build those skills. So I find that to be actually a really hopeful message and empowering message that we get to do it for ourselves because that's the work that actually 
lasts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And you mentioned already some steps of real self-care, but you talked about boundaries, self-compassion. Are those the steps of self-care that you talk about? So it's not steps, but Mm -hmm. it's more like principles. So it's kind of like Mm -hmm. you need to be able to set boundaries. Of course, that's Mm -hmm. always the first sort of skill that you need to learn to be able to do any of the other things and then self-compassion. So understanding how you talk to yourself and, you know, that's one that for me, that's the place where I really struggle, Yeah, you know, kind of traditionally always sort of rolled my eyes at self-compassion because it always felt sort of woo-woo and like, oh God, Mm -hmm. you're just going easy on yourself. But this is like self-compassion more from a psychological standpoint, like learning how to work with the thoughts in your mind And then sort of the crux of getting clear on what are my values. So I'll give you another example from the book. So with a patient of mine who had a story that's very familiar to all of us, she's like a mom of three kids. She works full time. She's burnt out and working through this process in therapy with me. The thing that we came to recognize after she, you know, learned how to set boundaries, Mm -hmm. understood that that self-critical voice was actually the voice of her mom that she had internalized. She realized that she was actually holding a lot of resentment at her partner because her husband Mm -hmm. had actually never taken a paternity leave. He'd Mm -hmm. not asked for a paternity leave. And so for her, the real self-care process led her to having some really honest and tough conversations with him so that when they had another baby, he actually went up to his, he worked in a small startup and asked for leave. Mm. And his company actually offered to give him paid leave and they changed their policy. Oh, amazing. Wow. So that impacted all of the other parents that came after. And it was only because my patient took this whole real self-care process and applied it to herself. And that started with boundaries and compassion and led to changes that impact all of the other parents that are working at that company. So it's like, you kind of think like, who are we? Like, we can't do anything. I'm not an advocate. I don't know what I'm doing, you know, but no, you do like you have power, right. And it starts with actually in your own life and in your own relationships. So I think, yes, this is very much a prescriptive self-help book, but it's not another self-help book. It's really Mm -hmm. about how do we actually get to this place of systems change? Well, I love that you are talking about how it's going to be work when you read the book, because it is. I mean, we have to respect the fact and it's same thing in the parenting world, right? I can talk your ear off about picky eating, food refusal, tantrums, sleep regressions, all of that. But we have to get into the root of why are these things frustrating to you? What is it about your child like pushing back that upsets you? Like there's so much of the why, which you can't get in, like you said, general Instagram accounts, right? It's such a personal thing. And we talked about it already that it's your situation, your reality, your resources, but also your upbringing from childhood, like things come up like resentment that's created in your life that other people may not have. And so I love it. I think that that work is so important. And although it may seem like work, it's work that I think will really help people who read the book in the long run, right? Like, what is the method I need in terms of self-care? What am I looking for here? What is going to bring me that sort of peace in my life with implementing this? And so if we were going to start integrating 
real self-care into my life, for example, what's one way to start doing that? And especially for all of my listeners who may be feeling more busy or they're burnt out so that they don't look at this as a task, like you said earlier, and more of like just a part of life, if you will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I'm going to give a real self-care answer, which is that I can't yeah. give you the tool or the answer, right? Because it can't come from me and it would be completely antithetical to real self-care for me to say, and I prescribe you this. But what I can say is I'll give an example of a conversation that we often have at Gemma, actually, that comes up a lot is a woman who, you know, is a mom, is busy, right? And you finally do find like that hour and a half where you're like, I'm going to get a massage, and I've organized all the childcare. I've set everything up. I'm going to get this massage. And all you're doing at the massage is just like worrying about all the stuff on your to-do list. And then you get out of the massage and you're like, oh my God, now I feel like I have to be hyper productive because I took an hour and a half off and there's all these things that are waiting for me. So the question is like, what am I supposed to do? So I would say the answer to that is it doesn't work if you take the rest and then you're just like trying to make up for it mm-hmm. afterwards. We have to actually pull back. And again, coming back to what you're saying, Mona, we have to ask ourselves hard questions. Like, why is it that I only feel of value when I'm doing something for my family, right? Why is it that it feels like it's impossible for me to take an hour for myself? You know, what is it about the way that I've constructed my life that makes it so that me taking an hour off leads me to beating myself up for two Mm -hmm. hours. And the answers to those questions might be things that feel a little bit scary. And the good news is it doesn't mean that you need to get a divorce and join a cult. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You can have those hard feelings, right? Like you could maybe like, not like some of those answers that you get back. And like, you can sit with it and you can say, okay, like there's things that need to change. And it's one step at a time. Real self-care needs to be by definition, like a gentle, slow process. It's not something that you can just check off the list and just be like, okay, fix that. Our feelings aren't something that we can fix. So, and coming back to like this message too, of like, we're all part of this wider community, right? And, you know, we're hearing a lot about community care, right? And how we're Mm -hmm. plugging in and that this whole conversation needs to include the fact that when you step back and you start asking yourself these questions of how you spend your time and what you're allowed to do or what you're not allowed to do within your family or within your workplace, it also makes you kind of think about who is allowed to do those things, who is allowed to take that time. And I think that the answers are not simple, but ultimately the answers always come back to the fact that we have the capacity to make these decisions for ourselves Mm -hmm. and that we can be part of the solutions to make different choices for ourselves and then, you know, for our kids too, right? Oh, so important. I love this conversation. We had another recording that we did about mental health and in motherhood, pregnancy, whatever it is, wherever you are in your journey, breaking the stigma on maternal mental health. It's okay to not be okay. That's another episode we actually recorded probably two years ago. Yeah, I maybe two years ago. Before you even I had think I was a like baby. through IVF, maybe yeah, at that time I think or something. So, even yes, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. But thank you so much for this conversation. And again, I am just so excited about your book. Dr. Lakshman's book is called Real Self-Care, a transformative program for redefining wellness 
crystals, cleanses, and bubble baths not included. She explained how that title came to be. And it's actually available now, released March 14th, right? Yes, on sale yes. March 14th. Tell us where people can find you, where they can purchase the book, any of the other resources you have, because I know yeah. the book is just one part of the Puja Lakshman <laughs> family. So I love it. Tell us more. Yeah, absolutely. So the book is on sale March 14th. So you can go out and get it right now at my website, PoojaLakshman.com, Real Self Care. It's also on Amazon, Bookshop, all the normal places. It's also on audiobook. And I did oh, actually nice. narrate the audiobook. So it's almost like I you're getting that. a little yeah. mini therapy session with me if you like hearing my voice. That was an interesting experience. But I think it turned out really good. And then my women's mental health community, which is called Gemma, G-E-M-M-A. And we are at GemmaWomen.com. Me and my colleagues, also psychiatrists. And it's a space for community conversation. We have a membership. And so if you like this conversation, that's just another place to go deeper. But Mona, thank you so much for having me. It's always such a pleasure to get to chat with you. And, and I'm excited to come back again. <laughs> yes, I know you'll be back again and again. I love chatting with you. And I will be attaching all of those links to our show notes so people can access that. But again, follow her on Instagram as well. as And we'll put that up on the show notes too. And thank you again, Pooja, for joining us. And for everyone listening, go get her book. As you can see, she's a wealth of information, experience, and education. I love that combination um, to really help transform our motherhood journey. And if you like this episode, make sure to leave a review, call out Dr. Lakshman and the amazing information that she shared. If you got a chance to buy the book and started to read it, also comment on that. And I will have another guest on next week. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.